Hello, everyone. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And this is New Tricks for Old Dogs. Our podcast features the many ways us older men and women howl at the moon, odd news items you don't normally hear about, and conversations with other old dogs who are growing bolder, not older. So if you've got 25 minutes or so, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. In this episode, the old dogs ramble about what's in our sandwiches. We enjoy a new album from Lady Gaga and Tony Bennett. We talk about what thieves are taking from kindergarten classrooms. We wonder if it's a good idea to clone woolly mammoths. We offer a new tax haven for the super-rich, South Dakota. And we inspect Subway sandwiches for traces of tuna. The Old Dog's conversation is with Richard Ferrone, a prolific audiobook narrator who isn't done yet. Stay with us. All right, Paul. Mm-hmm. What is on your mind? Ah, you could tell I was thinking, huh? Was <laughs> it the furrowed brow? No, it's the smoke coming out of your ears. Ah, indeed. We had a pod nugget in today's episode about uh, tuna sandwiches at Subway that seemed to be missing the tuna. <laughs> yes, a- we And did. it occurred to me that... We have a lot of trust as consumers. When we go into a restaurant or a grocery store, we trust that what's on the label is what it is. Yes, we do. And uh, this pod nugget kind of raised the specter of, is that trust well-placed? Well, how do we answer that? What are, what are the steps we should take? Um, well, I guess... How do we know that the beef we're ordering in a restaurant is really beef? Yeah. Or uh, could it be a horse that we're eating? (laughs) Or, heaven forbid, uh, a dog? You know, I think that we trust our taste buds a lot. Would you know the difference between beef and dog? Oh, yes, because, you know, when I was a kid, I used to eat dog all the time. Right, of course. No, I wouldn't know. If I've never had a thing, I wouldn't know if it tasted any different. It may all taste like chicken, ultimately, right? There you go. That phrase, it tastes like chicken, tells you that it's it's kind of easy to fool us, <laughs> isn't it? Well, And they call tuna, by the way, the chicken of the sea, right? All yeah, right. Yes. Well, what else is in so the sea? Chicken was in that sandwich? <laughs> well, like they say, there are other fish in the sea, right? Yes. Okay. Well, maybe those are the other fish. If it's not tuna, what is it in uh, that sandwich? It could be junk fish. Junk fish? Yeah. Uh, you know, fish that we'd normally throw away, and you chop it up, cook it enough, and, uh, you know, hey, it's tuna. Yeah. How do we know? Well, I recall, and I don't know whether this was in college, you know, in the mess room, in the dining room, where they would say, oh, we're going to give you lobster, and it turned out to be scallops or something. How do you know the difference between lobster and scallops when you're a kid? Well, in my college experience, we would frequently have something we called mystery meat. Mystery meat. Everybody had mystery meat. You didn't know. Where... (laughs) Was this really meat? Was this... <laughs> we laughed about it, but come on. Yeah, animal, vegetable, or mineral. Well, it might have been animal, but like you said, maybe it was an animal that we wouldn't normally consume as human beings. So how do we get beyond? How do we restore this trust? I think when we go out to a restaurant, yes. everybody mm-hmm. should go out in the kitchen and just yes. observe for a while. All right. And make sure that hands are being washed and that... The meat that's being processed is indeed 
beef if you ordered beef. And if you hear a whinny in the back of the kitchen, ah. what do you do? Or the chef saying, take the saddle <laughs> off before we process. <laughs> then you know. <laughs> Lady Gaga and Tony Bennett's latest collaboration is titled Love for Sale. Maybe it should have been called Against the Odds. This pod nugget is from The Independent for September 30th, 2021. Fans of their first musical collaboration in 2011, titled Cheek to Cheek, won't be disappointed with their latest album, a compilation of Cole Porter tunes supported by a full orchestra. It's no surprise that the recording is a lovely throwback to the crooner albums of the 50s. The surprise is that the recording happened at all. You see, the 95-year-old Bennett was diagnosed with dementia five years ago. He's unable to maintain anything like a normal conversation. Uh, But his musical conversation with Lady Gaga is eloquent and convincing. Sadly, this is likely Tony Bennett's last recording. Neuroscientists can't explain why music is able to cut through the fog of dementia. But it is the miracle that made this album possible. If you like well-written songs delivered by two classic saloon singers, buy this album. A burglar broke into a kindergarten in Germany and learned the pitfalls of interactive electronics. This pod nugget is from the Houston Chronicle E-Edition for September 22, 2021. The 44-year-old suspect stole the following items. A laptop, picture books, cups and glasses, fish sticks, pasta, and a smart speaker. The list of purloined materials is a bit puzzling. He was either hungry for learning or maybe starting his own daycare center. (laughs) As is often the case with low-achieving criminals, the man made a serious mistake when he tried to download new stories onto the smart speaker. It sent his location to the manufacturers who then informed the police. Authorities assure us that the bungling burglar is now behind bars where he hopefully can continue to pursue his education. I mean, really, fish sticks? Mm. (laughs) A scientist claims he can resurrect woolly mammoths. But why bother? It didn't work out so well the first time a few thousand years ago. This pod nugget is from the NPR Daily Newsletter for September 15th, 2021. The man making the claim isn't a crackpot. He's Harvard professor George Church, known for his work in genome sequencing and gene splicing. To be accurate, he is proposing splicing mammoth DNA into the DNA of an Asian elephant to create a mammophant. Church has formed a company and thinks he can achieve his goal of creating an embryo in six years. He's sure that bringing back the big beast to roam the Arctic tundra is sound ecologically. You see, the original woolly mammoths did help preserve the permafrost layer. Others think his efforts would be better directed at helping endangered species. Obviously, Church hasn't seen any of the half-dozen Jurassic Park films, or he would understand the danger of unintended consequences. Why stop with mammoths? Why not bring back saber-toothed tigers to control the feral pig population? Hey, how about pterodactyls or other large flying things to gobble up mosquitoes? Or brontosaurs to keep our lawns trim? And why stop with animals? Yeah. Maybe bring back Neanderthal man to produce stronger and more durable football players. You wouldn't have to mess with steroids or go into college. You can see how once we start tampering with nature, it's a slippery slope, right? 
We don't need more predators in our neighborhoods. We already have plenty of reasons why the human race could become extinct. Here, here. Did you say should become or or could? Uh, hmm. Hmm. The so-called Pandora Papers were an expose of global tax havens for the very rich. The havens included Belize, the British Virgin Islands, Singapore, and South Dakota. That's right, South Dakota. This pod nugget is from the Axios News website for October 6, 2021. Previously, South Dakota was known as the state you had to drive across to get to Montana. <laughs> I think there are also some presidential heads carved in granite somewhere in that state. Hmm. So now they can add global tax haven to their previous two attractions. Like most tax havens, South Dakota has no income tax, no inheritance tax, and no capital gains tax. Additionally, the state allows for extreme secrecy in financial matters, which protects assets from prying eyes like creditors, ex-spouses, and law enforcement. South Dakota started carving out its position for easygoing financial services in 1981, when it abolished upper limits for credit card interest rates. In 1983, it became the first state to allow perpetual trusts, which made the money in the trust untouchable for centuries. Since then, South Dakota has continued to pass laws that made in-state trusts more attractive to the world's ultra-rich. If you are just sort of rich, you need not apply. Ten years ago, South Dakotan trust companies held $57 billion in assets. Today, that figure is $360 billion. It helps that financial services have a cozy relationship with the state legislature. The legislature regularly rubber stamps whatever legislation is handed to them by financial services companies. One politician commented that nobody understands any of the bills, but they know it creates jobs. <laughs> well, whatever works, South Dakota. I hope that now more people are stopping on their way to Montana. Two customers sued Subway over the contents of one of their sandwiches. They thought their tuna subs were fishy, or rather not fishy enough. This pod nugget is from the Washington Post for October 8th, 2021. The plaintiffs claimed that based on lab tests of several sandwich samples, the tuna in the sandwich was anything but tuna. A judge dismissed their fraud lawsuit on a technicality. In other words, they should have hired a better lawyer because the absence of tuna in the tuna sandwich was not decided. So, of course, two media concerns jumped into the dispute to resolve matters. Inside Edition tested samples from three different subway locations and verified the presence of tuna. Well, great. Not exactly a ringing endorsement there. Of more concern, the Times tested another sample and found that no amplifiable tuna DNA was found. <laughs> <laughs> this may have been because the tuna was so processed they couldn't detect the DNA, which also won't promote sales. To present their side of the issue, Subway launched a webpage, SubwayTunaFacts.com, which proclaimed that their tuna was 100% wild-caught tuna. The lawyers for the plaintiffs are suggesting that they may amend the filing and try again. So, don't be surprised if a new Subway menu proclaims a tuna-like substance. During a successful career as a government attorney, Richard Ferrone made a sudden switch to acting. 
Despite the uncertainties of reward, he got so good at it that he's become a highly sought-after audiobook narrator. Maybe you'll recognize his voice. Hello, Richard. Hi, Jim. How are you doing? Great, great. Good to see you. Man, you haven't changed a bit. And neither of you. I recognize you right away. <laughs> nah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get started. Richard, we'd like to know, first of all, how you ended up being an attorney, and then how you ended up not being an attorney. <laughs> okay. Well, I ended up being an attorney because uh, I grew up in a family where you look towards um, uh, further education for a profession of some kind. My father was a doctor. I had another brother who was a doctor, but my second oldest brother uh, became an actor. <laughs> and I'd been acting, um, you know, all through high school. And then uh, before I went to college, I decided I'm not going to be an actor. I already see the uh, capriciousness of the career. I needed more regular work. I was greatly influenced by uh, my brother-in-law, who was already um, in law school. And, um, and I decided, oh, I'll become a lawyer. So anyway, I went through law school. Um, I uh, passed the bar in Massachusetts and, uh, and then ended up getting a job in the Department of Labor in the solicitor's office, the lawyer's division of the Department of Labor. Um, and um, I was thrown into the Occupational Safety and Health Division. OSHA was uh, just recently passed, and um, I ended up uh, helping to uh, write regulations to administer and enforce the new law. Uh, one of the um, older attorneys in the Department of Labor asked me if I wanted to be on the task force to write ERISA, the Employee Retirement Security Act of 1974, I think it was. And I said, great, that sounds exciting. Um, I'll do that. That was a crazy time and quite an education um, working on that legislation. And uh, once the legislation was passed, I was swept into um, the division to start administering the uh, ERISA. Okay, but if all of that was going so well, Richard, how'd you end up back in theater? My marriage at the time fell apart, and I uh, found myself with a little extra time, and uh, I got involved in a community theater production of Carnival and uh, played Paul, the, the lead in, in the musical. And um, before we even opened, I already decided, damn it, this is what I want to do. This is really me. And that's when I made the decision, 1976, and um, I said, I said to myself, well, I'm just going to continue at the Labor Department and save as much money as I can and then move to New York in about a year. And uh, which I did in August of 77 and then uh, just uh, plugged away at uh, acting and uh, taking uh, acting classes um, and uh, doing little shows, showcases and all that. Uh, off off Broadway, and um, eventually it led to a job up at Trinity Rep in Providence, um, which at the time was, I think, the first or second regional theater to receive uh, a um, uh, a Tony for its work. It was it was really nice. I spent eight seasons there, 
and uh, was in about 45 productions and um, and then moved to New York in uh, the end of 89. So up to that point, it was all stage work, right? Uh, how did you get into audiobooks? Well, people had been telling me, Richard, you should uh, look into recording audiobooks. And I had no idea where to look. And then one evening I was at a show uh, where at the end of the bio of, of one of the actors, he mentioned that he recorded books for uh, a company called Recorded Books right there in New York. I ran home after the show and pulled out the telephone book, which we had in those days, and called them the next day. And they said, send in a, a tape. And I said, well, I can record something on my Walkman. They said, that's fine. And uh, when I'm <laughs> concerned about the quality, I recorded something on my Walkman and sent it in. And I heard from them a little bit later. They said, we'd like you to come in and do a, an audition tape for us uh, right in our studio. I did. And that was the beginning of my career recording audiobooks. Interesting. Well, let's talk yeah. then about about audiobooks, clearly there is a major difference between acting for an audiobook and acting on the stage, because on the stage you, you inhabit mostly one role. Uh, audiobooks, you take on all roles, and sometimes you have to shift on one page four, five, six times. Uh, what's your method, then, of analyzing characters so that you can accomplish all the characters in a story. I think a lot of people who are listening to this podcast don't realize how difficult that can be. Let me say this to start with uh, the uh, demands of recording different genres vary a lot. But I think what you're referring to are uh, fiction, um, mm -hmm. where you've got a lot of characters uh, coming and going in and out of scenes. And uh, first of all, I was advised in the beginning, and uh, it makes so much sense, I think it's the most natural thing to do, is the um, main character, either the uh, narrator and the main character, um, and if it's a first-person novel, it becomes your own natural voice. That's Most often, that's why you were cast for that particular book. And then after that, you know, there's no really no difference between how I prepare a character uh, voice for a novel um, than there is for preparing uh, a character for the stage. And vocally, it's amazing what changes happen just thinking about what the uh, goal is of a particular character in a particular scene. Um, and our voices change constantly depending on who we're talking to and what we want. But then there is an overall change to a character. I, uh, a lot of women, are, I just give them a little lighter touch um, uh, on my voice, depending. Now, my, my wife happens to have a voice probably, it may even be deeper than mine, I, you know, but she has a very deep voice. And, um, so it's not a question of raising your voice. Uh, it's more who that character is, what they want. Um, are they talking to you because they uh, want your love, uh, want something from you, um, or are they angry at you? I think it's much more important to be distinguishing the voices 
in a particular scene and then, you know, maintain an overall character at the same time. Richard, you got into audiobooks so early, like the, there may have been just one or two people doing it at the time. Did you have any idea how big audiobooks was going to get? Um, I thought it might, but I had no idea that it was going to grow like it's grown now. When I started with recorded books, recorded books was uh, only publishing these audiobooks uh, for library use. And then by the uh, mid to late 90s, uh, the audiobook publishers began to realize there was money there for them too. And until then, it was very easy for recorded books, this little company, to get the recording rights for wonderful titles. And then once the, uh, the big uh, book publishers began to realize there was money in it for them too, they started getting, getting involved. And that's when it really burst forth. I had no idea that it would be what it is. Well, it's been a 30-year adventure for you, huh? Roughly? Yeah. By the mid-90s, uh, I started getting a lot more work. I had uh, the, the great story about how um, things were a little bit slow, and I had taken a job selling knives um, <laughs> on the side. And uh, it was actually quite remunerative. After about a year of doing it, the um, casting person at Recorded Books pulled me aside and said, gee, Richard, I just listened to uh, a book of, that you did recently, uh, Florida Straits, and um, it's really terrific and, and all. And I said, hey, Claudia, you know, I'm, I've been uh, going out of town three, four days a week and just recording uh, three days when I'm back in the city. Um, but if you've got more more stuff for me i'll stop going out of town i'll stay here and, and uh, be available to do more work and she said well we'll, we'll see if, yeah we'll see about that that's when i started really picking up a, a lot of work and uh stopped selling knives you have well, don't don't lose your your knives yet you never know <laughs> <laughs> looking ahead richard what do you see happening is there a time when you feel like you're going to move on to something else? Or are you content to just keep on going in that direction? I'm just going to keep recording as long as they'll have me. And, um, you know, my wife and I would like to uh, have more time together and not feel the pressure of, of uh, having to prepare anything. But, you know, I, my goal was to be recording until uh, I was... Um, 70 and then that changed to 75 and now it's uh, to record until i'm 80 you know if somebody uh calls me to do an audiobook i will continue doing it but uh you know i like having more time for myself now and oh i know one of the things i wanted to say um one of the things that i've really enjoyed about being involved in this work uh again is kind of a throwback to my legal days um, I got involved with the union that covers our work and um, spent about 12 years on the local and national boards of uh, first AFTRA and then uh, SAG-AFTRA. And I continue being the uh, chair, the national chair of the uh, audiobook narrator steering committee. And that's really been wonderful because when I first started, we, there were just a couple of contracts for this work. Mm -hmm. 
And now we have over 30 contracts with uh, producers uh, all over the country. Uh, I like to think about this uh, contribution to our performing community. Well, sir, thank you so much for doing this, Richard. And it's really great to see you again and hear what you're up to. And I'm sure our folks will appreciate it, too. Thanks, Jim. Like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We could always use more listeners. There are more episodes on the way, so stay tuned, keep howling at the moon, and be sure to get yourself and your family vaccinated.